For the last several weeks, we've been journeying through the book of 1 Samuel. We've been exploring the life of Samuel and then the life of David. And a lot of what we've been exploring in the life of David is the, the young David. He's been anointed king, but he's on the run because Saul, who is king, is trying to kill him. And David is living much of his life on the run, in the wilderness, uh, trying to grapple with the reality of being on the run. And that he, during this season of life, is in a wilderness and trying to find God in that wilderness. This, uh, this prayer of Jenny's uh, in the cornfield, dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away from here. Uh, there's something strikingly similar in a psalm of David. He says, oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. And so if the, if the books of Samuel explore uh, the life of David from the outside, it is the Psalms that explore the life of David from the inside. And so this morning, I wanna wrap up this series uh, that we've been going through, uh, 1 Samuel, and explore it through the lens primarily of some Psalms of David and the way he is just so comfortable crying out to God uh, through poetry. Uh, pain, adversity, suffering, these things uh, somehow find God present in them when turned into poetry. It is the poetry of the scriptures that so often we gravitate towards when we find ourselves in wilderness of our own. Uh, David uh, was not uh, uncomfortable being honest with God. In this next Psalm, uh, uh, Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And this Psalm is one that Jesus quoted from the cross uh, as he was experiencing his own wilderness on our behalf. So this morning I want to explore this idea of the interior life of David and what he's experiencing. And I want to start by looking at 2 Samuel chapter 1. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, this is the chapter where David is told that Saul has perished as has his best friend, Jonathan. And so Saul and Saul's son, Jonathan, who was in covenant relationship with David, they have both perished. And uh, I want you to put yourself in Saul's shoes for a moment because, uh, or uh, put yourself in David's shoes for a moment because uh, Saul has been pursuing David now for nearly 10 years. David has been on the run, been living in the wilderness for nearly 10 years. And you would think that David's response to hearing the news of Saul's death would be one of, whew, finally, finally this guy is gone. This guy is out of my life and I can get on with my life. Uh, but in verse, we're gonna pick it up in verse 17. It says, David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son. Jonathan. And so something within David 
is able to lament the death even of this man Saul, his father-in-law, uh, someone who he, he should have been able to be very close with, but has been pursuing him. Uh, somehow David is able to lament his death. And when we think about the things in our lives that have hurt us the most deeply, uh, it, it's usually not uh, things people we aren't in relationship with have done to us. It's people we're in relationship with who have done things to us or said things to us that cause us uh, the deepest harm, the deepest grief. Uh, so let's go back one more to that uh, psalm. David says, uh, this is the same psalm where he says, if I had the wings of a dove, I'd fly far away. Uh, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide it. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship. Uh, what's deeply grievous to David in this psalm is not that some enemy out there is causing him harm. It's a close friend, uh, someone who he loves deeply has turned against him. Uh, I don't know if you've ever felt this. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I, uh, I don't know if the, the idea of, uh, dear God, make me a bird so I can fly far, far, far away resonates with you this morning. But that, that was David's experience. He, he wanted to escape from this pain, from this anguish, from this suffering, and, and it is someone dear to him who has hurt him the worst. Uh, when, when someone who is meant to be our friend, who, who uh, is meant to protect us, harms us, it, this is the type of pain, the type of suffering that is the hardest to recover from, because trust has been broken, uh, a betrayal has happened. And to enter into that pain, to not gloss it over, to not be distracted by the many things of life that can distract us, but to actually enter into that pain and wrestle with it, to grapple with it, is one of the most difficult things we face as humans. To truly grapple and wrestle with our wounds, our pain, our anguish, our brokenheartedness. Uh, uh, to be able to enter into a path that will actually lead us to somehow, by God's grace, be able to forgive and let go. It's a deeply heart-wrenching journey to enter into. And, and for David, he somehow has entered into that journey. Somehow, in, in the wilderness, he has met God. And God has given him the grace to actually have a lament for Saul and his son, Jonathan. And uh, David ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasher. Uh, scholars believe this book of Jasher, it's, it's missing. And so we're not sure where that is, but this lament has been preserved. Now, before I read the lament, uh, I'm struck by this, uh, this command of David that the people learn this lament. 
Because in our culture, I believe we have largely lost the laments. Uh, we don't lament well as a culture. Uh, tragedy happens and uh, it's like, I mean, it's constantly in the news, right? And so it's just one thing after another after another. And so we, it just, we get so overwhelmed by it. We begin to gloss over it and just not truly lament or grieve. And this, this isn't only true in the public sphere. It's true in our own personal lives as well, isn't it? That we often, when, when tragedy strikes us, when, when something deeply painful happens to us, we often don't journey through the process of grief and lament in a healthy way to be able to let it go and trust God in the healing process. Uh, I, I believe a lot of anger in, in our lives and in our culture is really unresolved grief. Uh, unresolved grief often manifests itself through anger, through fear, through deep depression, uh, because we often have not journeyed through the process of dealing with the grief and lament that God calls us to process and to grieve. Um, so uh, about a week and a half ago, I was in Michigan. I was with my family. Uh, my grandmother had passed away, and uh, the funeral was a week ago Tuesday. And after the funeral, we were back at my parents' house, and my brother was telling me this story. Uh, and um, they got two kittens uh, about five months ago. Uh, the kittens are five months old. And uh, my brother's kids were just absolutely delighted uh, by these kittens. And so my brother tells me the story about one of the kittens. And so I'm, when I'm back home in California, I, around the dinner table one night, I start sharing with my kids this story that my brother shared with me. Uh, and, and so I shared with them that uh, my parents live an hour away from my brother and his family. And one day my brother drove the, the hour uh, to see my parents. And uh, he, got, he stopped at a Home Depot in the same town my parents lived in before he went to their house. And he got out of his truck and he heard this. And he's like, oh my goodness, one of the kittens is somewhere in the truck. And he's looking all over it. It had wedged itself up in the engine somewhere under the hood. And for an hour, it rode on the expressway. Uh, wedged up under the hood. And so my brother is looking all over and he can't find this. And so there's this uh, auto place right next door to the Home Depot. So he slowly drives the truck over there and tells them what's going on. And they frantically pull his truck in, lift it up. They're looking all over under uh, the truck for this kitten and can't find it. And uh, suddenly all these auto mechanics are like cat lovers. Uh, they're all searching everywhere for this cat. They're walking the road with my brother looking for this kitten. They're searching all around Home Depot for this kitten and they can't find the kitten. And uh, so on the day my brother's telling me this story, it had been three days since this happened. And so he's saying, you know, uh, we think the kittens didn't make it. Uh, and, and so uh, they would feed the kittens every night. And the kittens would just, uh, they're outdoor cats, but they sleep in the garage. And so they'd feed the kittens every night and the kittens would run to the food. To, and just devour it. And he said the first night uh, 
the one kitten was missing, we put the food out for the other kitten, and the other kitten walked up to it and sniffed it and walked away, totally sad and depressed that her best friend was not there to share the meal with him. At this point, my kids are like waterworks. Uh, and, um, and I'm realizing, oh my goodness, like they're, they're entering into this story. And this story is helping them grapple with the reality of loss. Uh, and then, um, so a week and a half ago Tuesday, my brother and his family go back home. And uh, there was a collar on the kitten with uh, their phone number on it. 11 p.m. that night, an employee from Home Depot calls and says, I have your kitten. She kept it overnight, drove to meet them. The next day, they got the kitten back. And so it's like, uh, you know, when, when you lose something, the longer it's lost, when it is found, the greater the relief. Uh, and, and so uh, my kids, especially my boy, he was like super sensitive about this story. And even after he found out that the kitten was found, he was still like waterworks, uh, just so overwhelmed by this. And uh, my wife and I were talking about this later and realizing a lot of what he's probably processing is loss, and it came out through the story of the kitten. Uh, he wasn't able, my, the rest of my family weren't able to go back to Michigan with me to uh, go to the funeral for my grandmother, and so they're, they're experiencing the loss in their own way back in California without being able to be present with the rest of the family. Uh, our, our next door neighbor, um, Bev and Jerry, are, uh, Jerry, who would have been 82 this past Sunday, the Sunday before, suffered a massive stroke and passed away. And my kids love Jerry. And, and so for my kids, they're, they're processing the loss, the, the loss of these human lives through the story of this kitten. Uh, and so helping them understand loss and to lament. Uh, there's a reason David says, teach this lament. There's a reason uh, that it's healthy and good and right to understand grief and loss and lament. And so David says that the people of Judah be, should be taught this lament. Verse 19, a gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Geboah, may you have neither dew nor rain, may no showers fall on your terraced fields, for there the shield of the mighty was despised, the shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, the sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. 
You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of a woman. How the mighty have fallen, the weapons of war have perished. And so Jonathan, uh, David, through poetry, expresses his grief, his lament, that this deep, deep loss. He can express it even for Saul because he even loved Saul despite how Saul had turned against him and pursued him for 10 years. Let's look at Psalm 57. Uh, the introduction to Psalm 57 says, for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David, a miktam, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. And so last week we looked at this passage uh, when Saul went into the cave to relieve himself and David was back in the cave and had every opportunity to kill Saul and chose not to. Uh, David says, have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That, that stanza, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth, is uh, three times he says that in this poem. Somehow David, in the wilderness, met God. Uh, Eugene Peterson says this, while Saul was the occasion for David's being in the wilderness, Saul neither defined nor dominated the wilderness. The wilderness was full of God, not Saul. Something for us to keep in mind is that while David was in the wilderness, often Saul was too, pursuing him. Uh, there is a choice we get to make when we find ourselves in the wilderness. And that choice is to experience God in the wilderness and what he has to say to us through it, or to not find God there. Uh, God is always in the wilderness places. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is where God is. Uh, now, God is present everywhere, 
But for some reason, it seems like it, it is in the tragedies of life, it is in the wilderness places of life that we experience God's presence in, in some type of heightened way. Perhaps because we're more vulnerable, perhaps because we're, we're at our weakest, most broken point, uh, but we experience God there. Uh, God, the Lord, is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is the heart of God. Now, Jeff read the Beatitudes. I want to look at one of them this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, Jesus spoke these words to people who were living in the first century under brutal Roman oppression. Uh, people just trying to survive, uh, being taxed to death by Rome. Uh, everywhere they looked, Roman soldiers walking around, occupying their land. And in the midst of it, Jesus says to them, Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Uh, sometimes we experience healing and comfort in this life, and sometimes uh, we only see glimpses of it and have to wait for it in the life to come. Uh, and yet Jesus promises, uh, blessed are those who mourn. Jesus understood that if we don't mourn, if we don't grieve, if we don't enter into the fullness of our pain, uh, we can never experience the light and life and delight that is offered to us in this life as well. Uh, talked about the story of the kittens, that uh, when something is lost, the longer it's lost, when it is found, the, the delight is all that much greater. Uh, I mean, the, you ever lose your keys? Uh, if you find them right away, you're like, whew, there they are. But I mean, if it takes you a long time to find them, the relief after you finally find them uh, is so great. Uh, we recently just uh, repainted our bathroom in our house, and uh, I'm putting, I was putting the things back up on the wall, the towel things, and uh, there's a towel bar missing. So I put the two ends up, and the two ends are just there, and the towel bar is still missing. I have searched the house. I know one of my kids put it somewhere, probably threw it in the neighbor's yard, and the neighbors threw it away. Uh, I hope not. I hope I find it. Uh, and when I do, there will be such great rejoicing in our home. Because <laughs> it's, it's been several days now. And so, just like, you know what? Hang your towel on that thing that the pole is supposed to be attached to in the meantime. Uh, you know, when we get sick, when we get the flu or uh, some type of illness, uh, we're in bed and we when we finally get better, we're so grateful for our health, aren't we? 
But when we live regularly, day in, day out, and we're healthy, we, we don't often think, oh, I'm so grateful for my health. But when we get sick and then when we get better, the, the joy of feeling better is so much greater. Uh, when we get sick and we end up in bed, um, these are moments for us to recalibrate, to recenter. Uh, at least they used to be before the days of binge watching uh, things uh, in bed. I, a friend of mine had the flu a couple of weeks ago and he said, yeah, I just watched every episode of Stranger Things on Netflix while I was in bed. Uh, it, but being sick, being in bed, it just allows us that space to be grateful for when we are healthy and experiencing the fullness of life. Uh, two, two women in an airport, one, her husband's been on a business trip for a week and uh, he gets back and she doesn't meet him inside the airport, she picks him up at the curb. And um, when she picks him up at the curb, she hops out of the car and greets him with a hug and a kiss. He hops in the car and off they drive. They're, they're so delighted to see each other after not seeing each other for a week. But the other woman, she's in the airport waiting at the gate because her husband's been in Afghanistan for 13 months. And he returns. And the level of joy is slightly different than the woman whose husband's been on a business trip for a week, isn't it? Uh, when something has been gone for a long time, when we lose something, when, when we're deeply broken, and then something shifts and it changes within us, the joy is that much greater, isn't it? Uh, Next slide. Uh, the greater the pain, the greater the relief, the greater the loss, the greater the appreciation when something is recovered. The greater the suffering, the greater the celebration when the suffering ceases. Uh, something I believe very deeply. Uh, next slide. Uh, the extent to which we experience joy in our lives is directly connected to our ability to fully embrace our pain. We can only experience the height of joy to the depth of which we enter into our pain. We can only experience the height of joy to the depth of which we enter our pain. If we do not grieve well, if we do not lament, if we do not dig deep into our heartache and our wounds, we will never experience the fullness of joy that God intends for us to experience. Uh, the author of Hebrews says that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Uh, for the joy set before him he endured the cross. Uh, the Christian life, we, we don't get to choose just resurrection. The Christian life is both the path of the cross, of death, 
of heartache, of loss, and the path of resurrection, of joy, of the fullness of life. It, it's both. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And so each week when we come and we take this bread and we dip it in this cup, we remember Christ's death until what? Until he comes. Uh, it, it's both. We, we remember that Christ died. We remember that he was buried. We remember that he rose again. And we remember that and partake of this until he comes. There is a day when Jesus will return and make all things right. The author of Revelation, in Revelation 21, verse 3, he says, I heard a loud voice in the thrones, from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And the idea behind the word new there is, is restored, renewed. That which is broken, that which is lost, is now found and is now healed. That which was in despair is now, now has new hope, restored, renewed hope. Uh, I, I believe Jesus at his word when he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. That that when we mourn well, when we grieve well, when we enter into the fullness of our pain, individually, nationally, globally, that we experience the risen Christ speaking a fresh word of hope and healing in the midst of it. So, this morning, uh, maybe you're like me, and, and you desperately need to partake of the bread and the cup. You need to remember that Jesus died for us, that whatever pain, whatever heartache, whatever depths of sin, uh, that Jesus bore it there on the cross. Uh, that whatever deeply broken thing within you whatever heartache you're experiencing, that Jesus is present in it. And so this morning, as, as you dip the bread in the cup, uh, perhaps you simply need to ask Jesus, uh, please reveal yourself in this pain. Please reveal yourself in this heartache. Uh, maybe this morning for you, everything's going great and uh, life is going well. I would simply invite you uh, to ask God to reveal someone in your life where everything isn't going great for? Uh, who is someone in your life that is hurting, who needs a fresh word of hope and healing that you can offer? Because you are the very presence of the risen Christ.
Christ, by his spirit, can and does speak in and through you a fresh word of hope and healing to a broken and hurting world. God, as we partake this morning, remind us that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, scorning its shame. God, make us a people who are broken and poured out for the sake of the world, as you were and are. And then, God, make us a people who are filled back up with you, with your love, with your life, with your light, with your hope, with your healing. And may we be your people who give that back to the people in our lives, to the people in our communities, to the people in our world. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.